Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. In a world where people need 80s and 90s movie reviews, two regular Geordies combine forces to bring you the Brother to Brother 80s and 90s movie review podcast. Check them out on Twitter, YouTube, and all decent podcast vendors. Hello there, and welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below-average Star Wars. I am the Geordie Jedi Pete. And I'm Jason Hondo Ling. And I'm Kat Rizielke. And we are back with a brand new episode of Star Wars. It's going to be our second deep dive review into the book of Boba Fett. We are going to be reviewing Chapter 2, The Tribes of Tatooine, directed by Steph Green. And written by John Favreau. And this episode aired on January 5th. And if you have not watched the episode, The Tribes of Tatooine, pause this podcast now, go and listen, because as I said, we are going to deep dive review it. We're going to be talking lots of spoilers and diving into it, leaving nothing sort of unturned. So definitely pause now, go watch it, and then come back. Um, I think it's going to be best to sort of half this, half this episode into two, how we talk about it. I think... Um, where episode one sort of had the flashbacks and the and the modern day storytelling sort of mixed up. This was very much sort of the modern day storytelling in the current moment, and then and then we got sort of the flashback sequence in the back of time afterwards. So that's how we'll talk about it. That's okay with you guys. Um, so sort of in the current moment was sort of the the first part of the episode that we saw. Um, and. You know, it starts off sort of where the last one left off. You know, we, we saw that um, Fennec Shan had gone after some of the assassins and was told to bring one back alive. Uh, she did bring one back alive. We see her journeying to Jabba's castle, um, Jabba's palace, bringing, bringing one of the assassins back. Um, Kat, let's go to you. Sort of, what was your thoughts with the beginning of the episode and the fact that it picked up sort of directly where the last one left off almost? I think that was great. The continuity that's exactly what you would get in a book. You know, you go from one chapter to the next and there should be really perfect continuity without much of a time gap. So I think that worked really well. And I loved how the cinematography of that scene very closely matched um, Freepio and Artu's um, journey to Jabba's palace. You've got Fennec winding up that sandy dirt track and then the big uh, gates opening upwards. So that was a brilliant nod to Return of the Jedi. Um, and then <laughs> we see we see Fennec, I think, being sort of exactly what we expect Fennec to be. She's dragging this prisoner along, giving him no quarter, and just dumps him right in front of uh, 
Boba Fett. You can see she's got no respect for... I don't think she's got any respect for the assassin because he allowed himself to be caught. Um, if you think about some of the codes that we've seen in assassins' guilds and mercenaries, you know, if you're caught, then you're not particularly good. Um, she makes reference to that then when she says that he's a member of the Order of the Nightwind, that you're paying for the name. I love that. I thought that was brilliant. She's saying you're paying for brand name, like you do with so many modern day products. So I thought that was that was really fun. It did sort of lighten uh, that mood. And then we also get a reference to the um, Empire Strikes Back when the assassin throws a curse at Boba Fett's um, which poor Freepio is on the receiving end of in Empire Strikes Back. So we have a lot of original trilogy references already, and that's only within like the first three minutes of the episode. Yeah, I sort of love that as well. Sort of the feeling for you know rocking up at Jabba's palace, um, sort of the the cinematography used to sort of re, re revoke that sort of emotion out of you from watching Return of the Jedi. But then when we get inside the palace, it's a very different feeling. Obviously, you know, the court is empty. We only have sort of Boba Fennec, the two Gamorrean gods, and Boba Fett's droid. Um, who I do love in this this scene, obviously, they're trying to get the god to talk, and uh, the droid that Matt Berry voices um, is very much saying he's not going to talk. It's a waste of time. Just chop off his head and be done with it. And, you know, they end up, obviously, pretending to feed into the rancor where the guy sort of spills the beans about, he says he works for the mayor. Um, that sort of sets us up the next bit. Jason, what did you make of sort of travelling to see the mayor in the mayor's office and sort of the shenanigans that happened there? Well, I've, firstly, I've got to say that um, obviously um, the Rancor featured as per the Hasbro Pulse um, Rancor so it wasn't there and I liked the way that there was just like this little rodent there the whole thing was just played as a joke which I I loved that um, and then obviously like you say going to see the mayor for me the way they set that up um, you know dragging this this character back and when they went in and there was the very officious guy Oh, you're not down in the, you know, not down in the diary. Um, and then obviously, um, the toy like appeared, and it was the whole oh welcome, and it was the joke again. Oh, I didn't see your litter, and uh, the whole thing that you know they're all expecting him to be like Jabba, um, which clearly Boba is nothing like Jabba the Hutt. So then when we got to go in and meet the mayor um, and it was as we expected and it was very clever um, the whole process of um, this character he's got this air of mysteriousness about him um, which I think we're going to see a little bit more later on the series because I don't think that's the last time we've seen that character um, and then obviously you know um, we get to see this um, this sort of inter where they then um, assassinate this assassin that's been sent. And at that point, you think, oh, this is about to kick off. 
and then it's you know we we find out that this guy wasn't sent by the mayor but it's also very mysterious who actually sent them um which i i like again the whole thing it's almost like boba's having to do his detective work to find out what's going on um and then obviously he's pointed in the direction of sanctuary which we'd already seen in the first episode um but obviously the air when he walks into sanctuary is very different and that uh, again it's uh, everyone's on edge all of a sudden and it's not because of boba fett which you almost think hang on this is weird Boba Fett should be the one they're all scared of. Yeah, I think it says I think Boba Fett's got a lot of convincing to do. You know, at the end of the day, he's a fear, he's a feared bounty hunter, but that does not make him a crime lord. And I think the fact that he doesn't come in on litter, the reason why he doesn't come on litter is because he can't, because literally the only people he's got watching his back is Fennec Shand and two Gamorian guards. So get like literally if you come in on a litter, you could be attacked really easy. Like Boba Fett's essentially his own goon at this point, because you know, without him, like being as good as he is, like if if if, if, if some other noble was being more fat, he would be assassinated straight away because Fennec and the two Gamorian gods probably wouldn't be able to protect him. But because he does have sort of that sort of you know skill set, he, he can. Um, I don't know if I believe the mayor. I thought that was very cryptic with the fact that this sort of assassin would would say it was the mayor and know to say that. Like somebody's obviously instructed him to say that. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were on the mayor, Captain. Sort of what his sort of um, what his sort of future could be in the story. Mok Shayi's the mayor is a really interesting player because during his interaction with Boba Fett, it's almost impossible to tell where his motives lie. I think that him being an Iforian helps in that because he's not giving off sort of the eye movements and facial expressions a human would be giving, which I think also lends to his air of mystery. Uh, although the assassin of the Nightwind claimed that he'd been sent by the mayor, you're right, the mayor assassinates the assassin. So it's just, it doesn't really make any sense. And you are you are sitting there wondering what is going on. I think Boba Fett is wondering what's going on. Because although the mayor disclaims any association with the Nightwind, he then does basically insult Boba Fett because he refers to him as a bounty hunter rather than respecting him as the Daimo of Tatooine. But then he goes on to offer this sage bit of wisdom. Running a family is more complex than bounty hunting. Now, family here, I think he means more in a mobster, mafia kind of way. So for Boba Fett to run a criminal family is going to be more more complex than bounty hunting. But I don't think that's where Boba Fett is going. I don't think he wants to run a criminal empire. You know, he is a man of honour and a man of moral. So I could, I could almost see him wanting to actually... I think he would take that bit of advice, but almost in a literal sense. I think he's going to try and bring together the tribes of Tatooine, which I think is where the... Um, the title of the second episode is possibly referring to is that he's going to try to bring the people of Tatooine together as a, as a, like one cohesive unit, as a, as a family. 
So what part Mokshayiz is going to play in that, I think, is going to be very much up to where the Iforians' loyalties lie. Was, was he paid off? Did he pay off the assassin? At the moment, it's impossible to tell, but I'm very interested to see where future interactions with the mayor will go. The mayor made a good um, line where he said that um, that these assassins shouldn't operate outside of hood space, and that's why he had them killed. Um, do we know much about these assassins? There's much been said in canon about them, do we know? No, as far as I'm aware, this is the first reference to the Order of the Night Wind. It's not even something from the comics or the literature, as far as I'm aware. So, but if they're sort of limited to hut space, then that's going to be areas around Narshadar and Nalhata. So, it could be that they are the huts, like personal assassins. Yeah, that's, 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 the, that's the vibe I was getting from it. Yeah, same here. That was that was what I was thinking from what I saw. Um, although then I was surprised that when the twins arrived in later on in the episode, they weren't flanked by more of these assassins. Yeah, well, I think I mean that, let's dive into the next bit of the story. So you know we we have you know Boba Fett he's you know, Fennec has captured one of the assassins who tried to get him in the first episode. This assassin's told him that the mayor sent him. The mayor hired him. They've gone to see the mayor. The mayor said, nope, not me. Uh, but I'll have this assassin killed because he's operating outside of of Hut space. Um, I think these must be secret organisations because Boba doesn't know who these guys are. Otherwise, he would not, you know... You know, you know, the fact that there's a secret order of assassins who the mayor knows the name of and knows the rules, but Boba doesn't. Um you know, know that and know those rules. Um, so maybe it is very secretive. So they go to the 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 uh, the cantina slash sort of pleasure bar slash whatever you want to call it, um, ran by the Twi'leks. Um And it's all a bit strange there. And she's a bit silly as well, I think. Um, the, the sort of the, the main the main madam who runs who runs that bar. Um, She's been a bit off as well as the mayor is. I, I think they're all in cahoots me. I think it's all just sort of screw job after screw job after screw job. Um, and they're like, oh, what's that bang? And you hear the drums and obviously we actually do see a litter. And um, two hut twins have come to town to take over Jabba's territory. Um, Kat, what were your first thoughts when we sort of see, not just sort of the chaos that ensued, sort of everybody being panicky and the drums, but then when we actually see sort of the, the two huts come come down the down the street well firstly the drumming the drumming reminded me a lot i think is it indiana jones and the temple of doom i think it's the second one yeah that's where, right where they're drumming for and chanting for the um the sacrifice and that that drumming is so similar because you hear it before you see it and the tension that comes from it it builds up then into this crescendo and then round the corner on this massive litter are two hats. I mean, if you thought Jabba was ugly as just one hat, two hats is even worse. And the twins then, what, I mean, we can see that they're going to be, I think, probably the main antagonists of this series because there's going to be a power struggle now between Boba Fett and the twins. 
what was quite interesting and what the twins were saying is that a lot of it was based off Jabba's lines from A New Hope and Return of the Jedi to Han Solo. Different different words, but a lot of the same context. And again, having that reference makes sort of the, the twins more authentic as Jabba's cousins. Um, and then they, they were only translating half of the lines. So um, the twins, uh, brother and sister, they weren't translating what the sister was saying behind her little fan. And we don't, we know they were plotting, but we don't quite know where she was, she was plotting to. So it's going, it's, it's going to be interesting because we know that after the fall of Jabba, when Leia uh, kills him, that the Hut Council is basically thrown into disarray, um, not helped then by the rise of the New Republic. So that we know that the Huts have lost a lot of power in the Outer Rim, which is why they mainly stick now to Nalhata. Uh, so it'll be, you know, it'd be interesting to see if the twins are only sort of are they only after Tatooine and claiming that land, or if they they want, want more of the Outer Rim? But they're definitely going to be in a power struggle with Boba Fett, whether or not they're trying to pay off the mayor. And I think it requires a flip from the sanctuary. It remains to be seen, but there's a lot of tension, and there's going to be a lot of plotting. So, and I love what Fennec said. Of she said, I mean, the, Fennec's answer to everything is let's kill them. But the first thing she says to Boba is, we need to get permission to kill them. So one mob family can't go after the other without repercussions. So that's that adds a bit of a spanner into the works for Fennec's kill everything in sight plan. Yeah, for me, I really enjoy the fact that the huts were um that sort of the 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 male twin was doing the majority of the talking, but that the female twin, his sister, was, was like was communicating quite communicating with him quite a lot. And it sort of made them made the sort of seem more sinister, which is always good. Um I like the fact that they didn't have one thing I didn't like about the mayor was that translator machine that we've seen in Rebels, and I get it for a kid's cartoon, you need like have them talk in English. But I think the translator machine in this thing, it just takes away I'm used to I'm used to in Star Wars, people speaking different languages and they're just being subbed out at the bottom. And then whoever they're speaking to just speaking back in English. And because they all understand each other, it's all fine. Um so I'm glad the Huts were speaking hoodies and that it was being sort of just translated at the bottom of the screen, as opposed to the mayor who had one of those um Devices fitted as seen in Star Wars Rebels, which sort of translates translates it into basic as you speak. Um, but but yeah, I think the Huts, you know, if they have sort of lost territory and been struggling, they might see this as like if we can take back Tatooine quite easily because Boba Fett's one man with two pigs and a woman and a droid. Um, you know, this might be an easy win for them without having to get into too much trouble. Um, so that. That might be, that might be why they've turned up. You know, big show of force. Let's take this place back, and um, it's a quick, easy win for us as Huts. Um, also, the fact that you know those assassins can only can only work sort of in Hut space. Um, I wonder if they were sent ahead of time by the Huts to sort of feel out the situation and see see sort of what was going on with Boban. You know, how many people did he have working for him and things like that. 
Um, I think that'll come out later down the line. Um, we also see um, a character straight from the comics turn up. Cat, do you want to? I know you've been practicing his name, so do you want to tell us all about everybody's favorite Black Woogie? <laughs> so, uh, yes. So, this is how I've heard it pronounced. People will probably say this differently. Um, I've heard it pronounced Black Cursetan, which is sort of the literal sort of way if you say it because he's got two R's in his name, so you roll that first pick. Cursetan. And he debuted in Darth Vader number one by Q and Gillen uh, from the Marvel comics. And he is, he's a bit of everything. He is a, he's a bounty hunter. He's a fighter. He's a mercenary. So he's a very dangerous Wookiee in the comics. He's worked with, he's worked for the likes of Darth Vader and he's worked with the likes of Dr. Aphra. So you can sort of see the company he's keeping. He's very, he's very strong. And he doesn't really take prisoners. He's known to he's known to bring them in cold, as Din Djarin would say. Um, and in in the comics, he's also uh, fought Obi-Wan Kenobi, though Obi-Wan did win that fight. So that kind of gives you the sense of power that Black Kurstatan is bringing into the uh, into the um, into the show. One thing that slightly surprised me is the fact that Boba Fett writes him off so easily because in the Darth Vader comics, Black Kurstatan and him meet, um, albeit they are sent on separate uh, tasks by Darth Vader. They do meet, so I don't know. Maybe maybe they, I don't think perhaps they had that much of an interaction in the comics, but I would have thought think... that Darth Vader, uh, that, sorry, that Boba Fett would have recognised him more. I think that's um, to do with, um, I think they did that on purpose and I don't think it came across as well as it could have done um, because the comment where he says about um, your gladiator doesn't impress me relates to the past of, sorry, I, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. I'm going to say the big scary Wookiee because that's my, my, my best description. But um, he... That is the comment, and I think there's a look that they sort of, and I, I mentioned to Kat earlier, that's part of the reason I felt the eyes of the character didn't work, and I felt they tried to give the two a knowing look, which obviously you can't see with Boba Fett because he's got his helmet on, which should have carried across with the Wookiee, but it didn't work because the eyes are too friendly and almost human-like whereas from the comic book I felt that the eyes were that much bigger and scarier um, but there's definitely I think there is supposed to be that you know that he's met him before um, and that that's the one thing that I think didn't quite come across in the episode I mean the whole costume of Black Curacetown definitely worked he looks like he does in the comics, they've given him that he's even bigger and bulkier than Chewy. He wears armor. Yeah. I mean, for me, his eyes almost seem quite Planet of the Apes. They're sort of set in that face, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe the more we see of him, the more it will work. 
Yeah, because I'm hoping that this isn't going to, you know, I'm hoping they just haven't put this in as a nod to the comics. Um, no, I, I, I want it to be, a, you know, a full cameo that makes sense. You know, Black Crusatan has to bring something. It's great yeah. to see some characters on the live action screen, but yeah, he does have to bring something. Yeah, definitely, and that's that's the one thing that because I know there's been lots of comments. Oh, is Afra gonna appear? And I'm like, no, no, this character can work without Afra, um, as it's proved because he stems from the Darth Vader comics, so he's already very much a character in his own right. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to see because I think my feeling is it's heading for all-out war on Tatooine almost. And there's all these characters coming into play, and this heads back as well to what happens in the flashback sequence. Um, but, for example, I've seen loads of criticism online um, about the huts and, you know, how they look. Um, because, obviously, there's the big bugbear that Jabba the Hutt look the scariest and the most intimidating in Return of the Jedi because he was uh, he was basically a living being as a puppet. Obviously since then they've always used CGI. Um, I think personally this was possibly the best CGI we've seen of the Hutts. Um, and also, you know, the way you saw them being carried and the litter was physically bowing as they carried them, um, which to me gave them the immense sort of feeling that people were saying they were lacking. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with those huts because I don't think this is the last we've seen of them. Actually, I'd love to see the sort of behind the scenes for that because I want to know when they were doing that litter, because the huts, the twins are CGI, was there something on the litter making it heavy to help the actors portraying underneath sort of the swaying and the struggling to hold it up? Yeah, I, I suspect there was. But, yeah, I'm so I hope they're going to do, and I hope we get more than one episode of the gallery to show us how they've done this series because, um, you know, I've said before, the first season of the gallery for me was standout as an amazing documentary, seeing how it was made. I understood why the second season was shorter and, you know, obviously with COVID. Um, I'd, I'd like to think now they've found a way around that and we can see more about the creation. And there's so much we need, you know, we want to find out about. Um, I definitely think that, um, yeah, they must have had some sort of physical balance on that litter. Yeah, and who's to say there wasn't like a half puppet on there? Like, do you know what I mean? We'll find out in the future. I, I thought they, I thought the huts looked good, and I haven't seen anybody in my circle sort of bad mouthing it. People I've spoken to have said the huts look really cool, and you know we've come a very long way since CGI huts in ninety seven. Do you know what I mean? So progress being made every day, which is fantastic. Um, for me, I think um, when they turned up, like when the drums and they came around the corner on the street, I was sitting there and I was like, oh hell, like the hoods have turned up. I was like, wow, like my jaw dropped a bit. I was like, oh, like things are starting to heat up now. This is like, this is dangerous. Like when you've got actually, like hoods haven't sent a messenger, 
or an assassin. Like they've came with an assassin, don't get us wrong, but like they've turned up themselves. Um obviously, you know, with the Wookie, um Black Crossdown, um, you know, he is a villain for hire. So if they've hired him to protect them, then that's what he's getting paid to do in it. Um so that's very interesting. Um Kat, why does he end up fighting Obi Wan? Do you know the story behind that? Can you share that? Uh, I do. Um I think let me I think it's Darth Vader number seven. Oh no 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 sorry no no I think it's it hang on I'm trying to remember my comics. No, it's Star Wars number seven. So that would be since the I think twenty fifteen reboot. Um Black Kirstatan is actually on Tatooine. He kidnaps Uncle Ben. So Luke's uncle. Um I can't remember the reasoning for that. I can't remember if he'd been sent to do it or if he just ended up doing it. I think it's a case of mistaken identity. But anyway, he he kidnaps Uncle Ben. You mean Uncle Owen? Yeah, sorry, Uncle Owen. It's not a Spider-Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, I knew knew watching No Way Home was going to come into Star Wars at some point and get my uncles confused. If I start talking Auntie May, we know we're seriously in trouble. Yeah. yeah, Uncle Owen. And then Obi-Wan goes to rescue him. And that's how Obi-Wan ends up fighting Black Kursatan is to save Owen. Um, we know that he and Obi-Wan have a bit of a rough relationship, uh, but he is very thankful for it because obviously he needs to be alive to look after Luke. Yeah, and do we know who hired um, Black Kursatan for that? Oh, not off the top of my head. I would have to look it up. I, I actually get the feeling he wasn't sent to kidnap um, Owen deliberately. I think he was meant to kidnap somebody else. I could take a look. Uh... Do you think, while well, cutting it up, Jason, do you think we're going to see Boba Fett versus Black Christan this movie, this uh, series? I actually think that we might actually see Black Kurdistan, if I got that right, um, turn up as an ally of Boba Fett, but I'm not sure. But um, I, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing, I am still convinced that I'm even more convinced now that we're going to get a big surprise in this series that's going to lead back to Crimson Dawn. And I actually think that the big surprise at the end is going to be the character of Kira. And I don't know whether Black Kirstan's going to be part of Crimson Dawn or whether they're going to end up fighting Crimson Dawn for Tatooine. But that's my feeling. And, I, I, I you know, with everything that's going on with the Tuscans in the flashback, I think that the Tuscans and Boba Fett are going to very much be fighting to re, you know, basically keep control of Tatooine. Yeah. And you look cut looking up the uh, comic. I think that was a no for now. Um, I, I frantically tried to have a look as well. But <laughs> Do you think we're going to see yeah. more huts in the series, Jason? No, I think we're going to see the twins, um, and I think they're going to play a big, big part 
in the series um, later on. Although we're rapidly, well, we've only got five episodes to go now, so we got. But um, obviously, I was really, really pleased to see that this was a longer episode um, because there's been a lot online about how you know people. Um, personally, I loved the first episode. Uh, I wanted more, but I felt that the time that they had it at told the story they needed to tell, left it on a cliffhanger, and also pretty much led you into what was this excellent episode number two. Um, so I, I think they did a brilliant job by doing that. I'm hoping, as I say, I think the Huts. I think maybe we're going to see Boba Fett and the Huts try and keep control of um, Tatooine um, because, you know, without going into what we've seen in the sec- in the second part of the episode almost, you know, the flashback sequences, I definitely think we're heading towards Crimson Dawn um, with all of the links to that. And yeah, I'm, uh, there's just so much that could happen that I'm hoping is going to happen. Um, but the character of Black Kurstan, I just hope they're going to use more and bring him into it um, later on. Well, I found the reason he fought Obi Wan. So I was. It's, it's Star Wars number twenty, and. <laughs> Black Kurstatan was hired by Jabba the Hutt. So he's got a uh, a repertoire with the Huts for, for working for them to hunt down Obi-Wan. So the way he does that is to kidnap Uncle Owen to lure Obi-Wan out because obviously Obi-Wan is a Jedi. He's going to want to save an innocent. And that is how Black Kurstatan has a scar over his eye, Obi-Wan gave that to him with his lightsaber, very similar to how Rey gave the one to Kylo Ren. You had oh. to get that in there. <laughs> that's, 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 you know, Star Wars is poetry, do you know what I mean? It rhymes, so it makes perfect sense for that to happen, um, for these themes to keep keep coming across. Um, no, th- thanks for checking that card. Obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing. Not everybody reads all the sort of comics and the, the wider canon, but gives a bit of context to this mysterious character who's just turned up um when i first seen him i was like oh my god is it him turned out it was him and then it's like you know down the line is is he gonna have a big blow up with boba fett do you think they're gonna have a big fight later on in the series card i i think that's where it would be heading and i think that's going to be one epic showdown I mean, Boba Fett accuses Black Chrysotan of being a gladiator. Well, put them in a ring. Let them fight like gladiators. That would just be so amazing. Definitely. And so obviously, you know, the scene ends sort of ends with the hood sort of saying, you know, we're sort of wanting to, want to kill you, but we're not going to do it right now because death in the middle of the street is bad for business. Um, but they do tell him to, um, and again, there's another insult here, the Hutts tell them to sleep lightly, Bounty Hunter. So that's not just the mayor who has called them Bounty Hunter. Now the two Hutts have called them Bounty Hunter and they've told them to sleep lightly, which to me says, you know, we're going to try and get at you. So like have one have one eye wide open so you can see it coming. Um, and that sort of brings an end to that sort of the, that part of the episode where it's set in the current time frame. Um, but then sort of 
brought back to the bank, back the tank, and Boba's dreams, and Boba's dreaming of being with the Tuscan Raiders again. Um, and you know another crime syndicate's involved here. You know we see that um, there's a spice train that goes through Tatooine for some reason, run by the Pikes, um, and they shoot people whoever they see out the window, and they kill some Tuscans for no reason, which to me just says bring on trouble, and they get too much trouble. Um, Boba sort of tells the Tuscans, "Look, I can help you." He goes to um. Well, there's there's a lot of awesome stuff in this in this dream sequence in this flashback. Um, obviously, Boba goes in search of sort of things that can help him against this the Pikes and the Spice Train, um, and we get to see the familiar uh, Tarshi Station, which is where Luke wants to go and hang out with his friends, waste time with his friends when his chores are done. Um, you know, Luke goes to Tarshi Station, and we see that it matches the deleted scene from A New Hope. Um, and we also see Cami and Fixer in there, who, of course, were Luke's friends, who are from that deleted scene and from the Star Wars comics. Um, they're in there, you know, to insinuate it's them um, having a drink. And we also see the gang who we saw in the first episode who were sort of causing havoc on the moisture farms and spray-painting their logo on the side of the moisture farms in the first episode of Book of Boba Fett. Um, they're sort of, they're in this bar causing trouble, just being a horrible gang. Um we see Boba Fett walk in and absolutely own all of them using first he sort of batters them so hard with a rifle that the rifle breaks and then he takes his sort of uh, his trainee Gaddafi stick and owns them all there including one one very delicious crotch shot he gets in um, which I thought was very sort of uh, not only look vicious but also you know you can tell it makes some teenagers laugh so it was a, a bit of a bit of comedy in there for uh, quite a deep episode and then he ends up stealing all their speeder bikes and takes those back to the to the Tuscans, where he says he's going to teach them to ride the ride the speeder bikes, and they're going to use them to hijack the train, um, which is what they end up doing. Um, Kat, we'll go to you first. So what were your thoughts on this whole flashback sequence? I think this flashback sequence is probably my favourite part so far. It is so well done, Jean Favreau has done an amazing job writing it. What we're seeing was that in episode two and uh, episode four, the Tuscans were represented as quite brutal, almost animalistic. Yet what started in uh, Mandalorian and has perpetuated into the Book of Boba Fett is that the Tuscans are being given a culture. They are being made more human. And I get that there's, there's this very much in this flashback, the sense of the colonials and the natives. You've got the colonists who arrived on Tatooine who are the intruders and the Tuscans are the native people. And they are just trying to survive with, with their, in, their, in their way. And the chief of the tribe you know says something very telling he he says um some tuscan tribes kill but we hide so we you know that's that says you know they don't want they don't want to be violent towards outsiders but the outsiders are inciting violence with them because when the pikes come through they are just slaughtering the tuscans for really no reason uh they're the ones trespassing through the land they're trespassing through the dune sea so i think we get we get to see that humanization of the tuscans 
and I just love the interactions with them because you know the Tuscans have their own language that we don't understand and everything's through body language so it just makes for such, for such deep storytelling and interpretation um when we see Boba Fett we see him training with that um wooden gaffy stick much like when you start to fight with a sword, you pra- you have a wooden practice sword, same weight, but not as deadly. And you can see he's gaining the respect because of all people, the chief second in command is training him and training him well. Um, whilst others then are sort of digging for the black melons and doing the, doing the chores. So Boba Fett's starting to earn that respect. And... I think Pops, what struck me most was when Boba Fett went to Toshi Station to take on those raiders, he didn't run. He could have run at that moment. He could have taken those speeder bikes. He could have got to anchor head. He could have got off Tatooine and never looked back and thought about the Sarlacc again. But he didn't. He kept to his word and he went back to the Tuscan chief and he was saying, this is a gift. I am going to help you. And there's sort of, um, there's almost dances with wolves vibes there in the fact that, you know, he, he may be an outsider, but he wants to help the natives. Yeah, I definitely had the dances with old dancers with wolves vibe too, watching, watching this sort of flashback sequence. Um, I love the fact that, you know, they're training him in their style of combat. Um, I think he's taking that as, look, I can learn another style of combat here for free. That no one else gets to learn because unless you're part of the Tuscan tribe, you don't get to learn this style of combat. You know, Fett is an accomplished combatant, as we know, but he's learning another style here, which is going to make him more dangerous. Um, so there's that. Um, I like the fact that you know the look in Fett's eyes in the first episode when he sees those radars raiding the moisture farm. You know, he does look a bit upset, and obviously now he gets his chance, sort of give them a bit of sort of their own medicine here before he takes their speeder bikes. Um, one thing I thought was um, when you first, when I first heard the train, I thought before you see it, I thought, oh, we're going to see another create dragon here. And it's the same vibes I got in the first episode when they were digging for the, the, the sort of the melons with the milk in. Um, that was, I think we've got an explanation about it. It contains like a, a, it's a fruit that has a milk in it that they drink. It keeps them hydrated. Um, as Fett tells the Pikes that later. Um, but when, when they were digging for them in episode one and the, that big creature turned up again, I, I first thought, oh, is it a Kree dragon? Um, so no Kree dragons at all so far, but it, it teased a little bit with them, um, especially after seeing that one in, in The Mandalorian Season 2. Um, the Pikes obviously look very different. They're very, you know, they're similar, but also very different from the ones in live action solo. And they're very different from the ones in animation that we've seen in the Clone Wars so far. Um, do you think this is just a, you know, the concept artists and the model makers have just changed them a little bit? Or do you think maybe there's something to it that the pikes look a bit different depending on what part of, you know, the planet they're from and things like that? I think, you know, to go from animation to live action, there's always got to be changes to how uh, a creature looks because there are things possible in animation that aren't possible in live action. But at the same time, it could be that, you know, the pikes we see in animation, yeah, they could well be 
perhaps they're from a different planet, perhaps, you know, they're a subspecies, just because they have some variation, there are enough similarities that you can tell they're the same alien. So it doesn't particularly bother me. The pikes are the pikes. Um, in Solo, they're sort of wearing this full headgear mask, which kind of makes sense because that was on Kessel, and we know that Kessel is highly polluted from all the spice mining. So they've got probably filters in that mask. Whereas here on Tatooine, they're only wearing like a half mask on the front of their face. Probably maybe to just filter out the sand rather than any toxins. So I think there's definitely a continuity with them in the sense that they were all similar. But yes, they are different. And that's because I think, you know, animation, it's a different, different beast to costuming, especially when you're costuming a, a human figure rather than CGI. But I, I think, you know, it was, it was still well done. You could, like I said, you could tell it, you can tell it's the pikes. Um, but yeah. I think it, if I think it will be interesting to see maybe if they perhaps address it in the literature or in the comics of that, you know what? There's different there's different variations on the pikes, and there's actually different species. The thing is, they they don't really need to. What people have got to accept is this is a television series and not a movie. Um, so there's obviously production constraints. And that's that's the one thing with Star Wars. Everyone's like, oh, it's got to look the same or it's got to tie into... It's a different interpretation. And that's what frustrates me with the films because each film is someone else's interpretation of that character, that, you know, the whole thing. So all we've got to accept is it was a pike on the screen in the way that John Favreau and his team want you to see the pikes, um, and they, they, you know, and they're very much in character as to what we'd expect with the spice, and the you know they're they're running their crime syndicate, um, and it's interesting when Boba, you know, after he's defeated them and they're all there and. You think, oh, is he going to kill them? And he sends them back with the message. And he actually says, go back to your, I think he says, syndicate. And, you know, tell them that this place is protected. Um, Which in itself is sending out a challenge. So we're seeing there that the challenge has been set. So this could be why we're now seeing later on, you know, obviously the huts have turned up. Is it a delayed turn up because Boba's already issued that challenge to them? Um, it's not this... a challenge. I think, I think you, Boba's essentially offering, like, you know, we will protect your spice, but you have to, you know, if, you, if you're traveling illegal drugs through any territory, you have to pay the head of the territory. You know, do you know what I mean? So he's almost got the, yeah. right there and then he's got the Tuscans involved in the gangster business. Um, <laughs> making a bit of money. Um, but obviously, you know, if the Pikes don't want to do the deal. And also, He's making deals with the Pikes. The Pikes not necessarily be friends with the Huts. So again, we'll have had the Huts turn up, and you know both he's mentioned sort of a crime war happening. I think it might be more than just like one side versus one side. It could be like a few different sides or warring over the same thing. Because if the Pikes are like, well, we want Boba still in charge because he lets us move our spice over here, 
to like no we don't then it, it could lead to like quite a feisty mess that's a true point because we know that the pikes are one of the biggest syndicates in the galaxy which would likely put them in competition with the huts and now i'm trying to remember in in the trailer we actually do see that moment where boba's got a lot of people around the table and it would be interesting now going back whether one of them one of them might be a pike I don't remember seeing a pike in that one. There could um, be a representative of the pikes. Yeah, there could. Yeah, because, you know, we've seen in the past, the pikes have a lot of representatives and different things going on. Um, and they've always got their fingers in many pies. Um, you're right. I definitely think this is going to be... I think what we're gearing up for is the war for Tatooine. Um to all intents and purposes. Um, you know, Tatooine's uh, as a planet almost is a place for all the villain and scum. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think you're right, Pete. I think it is going to be, it isn't going to be a straightforward one side versus one side. I think we're going to see a lot of players come into play. Um, and obviously, you know, Boba Fett is quite a character to go up against, but at the same time, so are all these different groups that are coming into play. Definitely. I think um, one of the things I loved was that the Pikes were like playing dumb at the first, and they're like, are you, are you moving spice? And like, we don't know what that, what does that even look like? And then the Tuscans like spill one of the cordons over and the spice falls out, and he's like, that. And then the Pikes like, oh yeah, I, spice I. <laughs> um, so I thought it was really funny. Um, I love the fact that sort of when they are doing the train heist, that when things get a bit tough for Boba and his team, that that second in command Tuscan Raider, who's been teaching him how to fight, just sort of kamikazes a speed into the train. She jumps out through a window, and then ends up like taking all the pikes inside the train, and then pops out to sort of save them on the roof. I thought that was a fantastic scene. I thought. I have to admit, the whole train heist to me was what I would have loved to have seen a bit more of in Solo. I thought it was, that train heist was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, and also leading up to it, the way, because um, as I've said in the past, my youngest Jess is a little bit in and out with Star Wars, but she sat glued to this episode and she really laughed with a lot of the humour that was in with the training on the speeder bikes, you know, when the guys are the, when the Tuscan Raiders are trying to jump from one speeder to the other, and there's the guy that falls off the back. And then all of a sudden you hear dump as the next speeder bike goes over him. Um, I just, that to me was also, you know, great storytelling. It was, we went on an adventure with Boba in that second part where he was, not only was he learning about the Tuscans, but the Tuscans were learning about him. Um, and I I like the whole tribal thing. It's like Boba's actually found his tribe with the Tuscans, um, which is why I think that's going to come back later on in the series. And I, I do think that the Tuscans are going to come through for Boba, which will make him one of the most powerful ones on the planet. Oh, I was laughing my head off when Boba does his speeder bike driving instructor. 
where you're like, this is like a banther. Oh my goodness. You honestly couldn't make it up. I mean, whether that was improvised by Tamara Morrison or actually in the script by John Favreau, absolutely brilliant moment. And I think anybody who has tried to teach um, either car driving or motorbike, motorbikes, I think they will relate to that. It's much easier to do in in practice, uh, in principle, than it is in practice because it does go wrong a lot, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes before it goes right. And yeah, seeing that, seeing because what we're seeing is not only the Tuscans giving Boba Fett skill, we're seeing uh, Boba Fett giving the Tuscans skills, and it's that we see now a symbiosis between the two of them, and I think. That's really that's really good, and that's what's making him part of the tribe. Yes, and then obviously you know after, you know, in the aftermath of stopping the train and sort of getting the Tuscans in the protection business for the Pikes, um, he's given a gift by the by the tribal leader, which is a little lizard. Um, which you know the, the, the lizard isn't the gift. The lizard goes up his nose and into his brain, and sort of makes him hallucinate a dream. Um, and I, I think this is meant to be a sort of a rite of passage. You know, if you come back and pass through this, then you're one of the tribe, or like you know, you might die hallucinating, and then you're not. Um, obviously, we see a lot of sort of flashbacks of of um, Camino and stuff, and then also like this tree that he finds that sort of suffocates him almost. Um, but he comes back to the tribe with a branch from that tree, and then you know that's what they turn into his actual official Gaddafi stick now. He's no longer got the trainee one. He's now going to get his own one and he's going to be showing how to make himself and he becomes one of the tribe uh, officially. Um, Jason, what were your thoughts on this this scene? Absolutely loved it. Um, and uh, again, tomorrow Morrison, to me, is an absolutely brilliant actor. And the whole sequence where he's presented with this lizard, it goes up his nose and he's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I think I've swallowed it. And then, obviously, he goes into this, it's almost like a drug-induced trance. Um, but obviously, so you're thinking that he's gone through this trance and everything he's seeing is an illusion. And then all of a sudden, he comes back carrying something from this tree. So at some point, obviously, he's come across something that, you know, whether he hallucinated it was attacking him and he took a branch. Um, but it is absolutely brilliant. And I love the bit where he's walking back towards the tribe and all of a sudden, the um, I can never remember what they call the dog-type creature. Us. <laughs> and it looks up and it's like, it's they're like oh is who's that coming out of the shadows and then all of a sudden they run over and you know obviously boba's back and i i really and then obviously seeing how um the staff's crafted um i know cat will tell me straight away and i know you know obviously it's based on um more of um, Ralph Macquarie's artwork and the whole thing it's, it is the rites of passage and it's just given the Tuscan Raiders all of a sudden they're no longer this savage race 
they as Boba Fett says, they are warriors. Um, and I think it's it is brilliant the way that John Favreau's crafted this part of the story. Cut what were your thoughts on the end of the episode? I I thought it was brilliant because when, when he's when Boba Fett is presented that little lizard, it's like you have no idea really what it means. It's like, oh, is it a lizard pet? What is it? And then I think anybody who's had a PCR test is going to be able to relate to um, the lizard going up your nose. Ouch. Um, but yeah, the the sort of the hallucinogenic properties of it does link in with sort of North American and South American tribal culture and how they may inhale or ingest something to bring upon a a dreamlike state. And what's very interesting about the the sort of dream slash hallucination Boba Fett has is, you know, we have these two trees and you have a big tree and a little tree. And I think that's supposed to represent Django Fett, his dad, and then little him, you know, baby Boba. And then we've got these red eyes populating the the tree. I've I've heard mention that people think it's Jawas, which you know it could well be. The Jawas have like stripped Boba Fett of his armor, but at the same time, I almost got the idea that it was like all the clones of of Django, and sort of you know they're they're part of Boba Fett's family tree, whether he wants it or not. And you know that that history of his family then is is basically drowning him, and that's why the trees limbs start encasing Boba Fett and trapping him and then he sees a flashback to Geonosis where he picks up Django's helmet but he sees himself in the reflection much like Luke does in the um, Cave of Fear on Dagobah and I think it's sort of a, a metaphor of if he continues down the bounty hunting path like his father Boba Fett's just going to end up in the same way. He's going to end up killed. And it's it's a warning for him not to go down that path, to choose a different path. So then when he breaks the branches, he's breaking from that past and he's taking the ga- he's taking what will make his gaffy stick. You know, he's taking what will forge him a new life with a new family. And then, yeah, as I said to Jason, where um, Boba Fett goes to make the gaffy stick is based on a piece of um, episode four, New Hope, uh, art by uh, Ralph McQuarrie. It's not exactly exactly the same, but the uh, metal standing structure is completely based off the painting. And what I found really telling is that when Boba Fett is making the gaffy stick, he... Um, um, what do you, I don't know what woodworkers uh, would tell me what this is, but he like engraves the top with a pattern, and that pattern matches exactly the one on the second in command's gaffy stick. And I think it's like a nod of respect to the second command who trained him, which I thought was so subtle, but it's there and it, it carries a lot of meaning. It's Boba Fett respecting the Tuscan who taught him. Definitely. I think one of the things I love about this is that, you know, and again, Star Wars being poor, you know, uh, rhyming, 
you know, sort of Boba's first journey and first tribe he was part of was on a planet that was completely ocean, Camino. That's where he was sort of brought up, um, trained a little bit. That's where he went to school. That's where he lived with his dad. Um, and then here we have sort of the second, the rebirth Boba Fett, and it's on a planet that's the opposite, all sand. Um, but again, all these people look the same because all the Tuscans sort of wear the same disguises to hide the face. So, I mean, they're not clones, but, you know, they sort of all look all look the same identity-wise because they hide the face from the from the elements with the, with the masks and the wraps that they wear. Um, and again, when he was on Camino, it was like, you know, all the clones look the same because they were the same. So it's sort of, sort of poetry there. Um, you know, Ryman, sort of the, the rebirth is sort of the opposite, but like it, but it's also the same, if that makes sense. Um, I think just like it is poetry and it rhymes, I think that, you know, the first part of the episode, which is set in sort of the modern day, the current timeline, um, sort of rhymes with the flashback in that in both halves of the episode, Boba ends up at odds with two two different but two powerful crime syndicates. And I think that's on purpose. And that's going to come back to sort of be a major part of the story going forward. Um, Jason, what sort of what things are you looking forward to in the next episode? And what do you think we're going to see happen? I'll be honest. I there's so much that I think could happen, but I don't know how it's going to play out. So that's making me look forward to it even more. And and this is the whole thing that I'm really loving with the book of Boba Fett is there's so much that can happen, but at the same time we know Favreau, Filoni, and Robert Rodriguez can throw a spanner in the works at any moment. So for me, that's exciting. I I'm still I I know I keep harping on. I'm convinced Crimson Dawn and the Pikes are going to come into it more so. Obviously, the the Pikes appearing pointed me towards Crimson Dawn even more than I'd already thought. Um, obviously, now the huts have come into play as well. I hadn't even thought that maybe more huts could turn up to reclaim um, Tatooine. I just thought, okay, the huts, you know, they, they'd stay um, in their own area, wouldn't be fast, um, you know. But, yeah, bringing them into it is an interesting play. Um, so there's plenty there, you know, like we say, they've already sort of issued this warning to Boba Fett. So there's that to come into it. Um, and obviously I, do, I don't think we've seen the end of seeing, um, you know, the flashback, although obviously once Boba is in the, once he's put on the outfit that the Tuscans give him, that is very much what we see him when he comes into the Mandalorian. So I'm wondering now, could we also see um, maybe a bit of Cobb Vanth come into it? Um, you know, there's so many possibilities of where this could go. And Kat, same question to you. Where do you think we're going to go next with this series? This is, uh, this is quite tricky because the... Uh, Tribes of Tatooine ends in because it ends with the flashback it sort of ends up in a very tied up knotted up with a bow kind of way so it, it's hard to see where the continuation will carry on in uh, chapter 3 
I think chapter three may be a bit slower because I think we've got to build story now before we get to sort of the action. Um, so I think we may we may start to see Boba Fett perhaps trying to win over the people of Tatooine. So we might see him out in out in the Sissy Mall, perhaps trying to gain favour. Um, I mean, yes, we've got the Pikes now have come into it, and we know that the Huts are there. Another big um, syndicate that nobody ha has mentioned yet, but is around in the galaxy, is Black Sun, and they're they're powerful as well. So maybe we would see them. Uh also, I mean, we've got the um, the mayor and um, Guaza Fwip, but we haven't actually we haven't actually seen <clears throat> like the the normal everyday people of Tatooine. We've just sort of seen the leaders, um, and we know that if you sort of want to if you if you want to win favor, you've got to win over the people rather than who leads the people. So. It'll be it will be interesting to see whether Boba Fett might go down that path of trying to um trying to sort of empathize and connect to the people he's trying to rule over, basically. But you know, we're talk we're talking about directors and writers, we can never predict. Who would have seen Black Cranston coming into it? Nobody. So I'm I'm excited, but I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen next. I think obviously with the fact the huts have turned up and you know not even Boba thought they would you know what I mean I think that's going to accelerate his plans now I think in the next episode we're going to see him meeting with other dangerous gangs whether it is Black Sun um, Trandoshans the Pikes other crime syndicates who don't like the huts I can see him meeting up with them trying to sort of gather allies to be like Look, the huts have rocked up we need to mobilise together because like they're going to try and take it back from all of us type of thing um so that, that was my thoughts there. Um, I, I think you're right there, and I think we will see that sit down at the table that we've seen in the trailers, um, and it'll be very much, okay, we've now got the choice. You can either go back to hut rule, or we can try my way where everyone's got their equal bit of respect. Yep. And I think also, I don't think Boba's trying to rule Tatooine. I think he's trying to rule... Like the, like the the powerful people. Do you know what I mean? So obviously the mayor will be the mayor, and if they kill the mayor, someone else will become mayor. But, but, but Boba's gonna be more like you know all the sort of the bad stuff that goes on through here. It goes goes past me first, and if I don't want it to happen. Then it, it's not gonna happen. Or you know if you pay enough money, I might let it happen. Um, Definitely, I think Boba Fett is sort of gonna be playing like the big bad wolf at the door keeping out all the even nastier wolves i think he's going to be trying to you know protect the people of tatooine he's sort of going to become like a guardian of tatooine if you like i think the classic is almost it's going to be the poacher turned gamekeeper so all of a sudden he's bringing order because he knows how to because he's lived in that world yep definitely um but yeah, any closing thoughts, Jason, on, on this episode and where we're going? I I just loved it. Um, I'm glad that the critics that I'd seen for the first episode, I think, were basically put 
firmly in their place. Um, this series has got a lot, a lot to go. I've, I've got a feeling the next episode is going to be a shorter episode. Um, just by, I think they're going to slow it. Like Kat said, they're going to slow it down a little bit, bring in some storytelling. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it and um, can't wait to tune in Wednesday morning. And Kat, any closing thoughts on this episode and where we're going before we wrap it up? Um, I think perhaps my only closing thought is a little bit of trivia in that I think I saw on Twitter that they were saying that the mayor, Mok Shayiz, was actually voiced by uh, direct, the director, Robert Rodriguez. That's very cool. I like that. Jason, did you hear that? No, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that one. I, um, yeah, uh, I thought they'd already said that Rodriguez had voiced another character already, but I couldn't remember who it was. Um, yeah, he did the Trandoshan in the first episode, but I'm sure they said that he was also doing the mayor. So I think, hmm. I think he's trying to do as many aliens as he can. I suppose they're keeping the budget costs down. Um Oh, obviously, did you... Uh, one thing we didn't mention in the last episode, apparently Sam Witwer voiced the... Um, oh, who was the prisoner with Boba Fett? I'm trying to think. Uh, the, uh, the Rodian. The Rodian, yeah. Apparently that was Sam Witwer. So they're, they're bringing in quite a few voice actors um, that everyone knows. So, yeah, could well be. Um, but what was uh, there was another bit of trivia. Oh, just a question. Um, is everyone else thinking that Fennec Shan's costume, which I know obviously is carried over, I'm I'm getting big Sam Wessel vibes from the whole look of it. Um, I've never thought that to be honest, but uh, to be fair, honestly, I haven't really paid much attention to it. It's, it's just the whole helmet and the whole sort of... It just gives me that sort of vibes. Part of the helmet, I think, perhaps, has uh, Sam, Sam Wassell's uh, vibe. The rest of the outfit is quite different, I think. But, yeah, part the way the helmet sort of visor flicks up and down is quite similar. Yeah. I think, I think my, my last thoughts are just... You know, really enjoyed this episode. I wasn't expecting the goatway it went with the huts turned up and the pikes mentioned. Um, but I think it's setting it up for like a lot of sort of godfatherish type crime family shenanigans going on in the next next couple episodes in the end. Um, I think for me, one thing that sort of Star Wars, the Black Series line does not do, which the Marvel Legends line, which is the exact same line in Marvel does, is double packs. And, and for me, I don't know why they cannot release the Tuscan tribal king, the tribal leader, and the second in command as a double pack. That would be a perfect double pack and sell out straight away. Oh my gosh, I would buy that. And please, can we have Black Chris Santan as a uh, Black Series figure now as well? Oh, it's got to happen. Got to happen. I mean, you say that, but we're probably just going to get Boba Fett in a different colour because that's what they, they like a repaint. Sounds like <laughs> Boba Fett. Yeah. But um, but no, I think I think that's all for me. I think obviously you know the, the show is starting to get really interesting now, and uh, some of the bigger players are being brought in the huts, the pikes. I think Jason could be right. There could be some more big players coming in, the likes of Crimson Dawn. I think Kat, you mentioned Black Sun. 
I think we're probably definitely going to see some Black Sun at least mentioned, but maybe seen as well. Um, those Trandoshans are about, and they look pretty mean as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's an exciting time. I think um, I think Jason hit as well. I think you know, I think we are going to see more flashback, and I think we're going to see maybe Boba hearing about his armor and watching from a distance what the marshal's doing, Cobb Vanth, but not actually engaging. Um, and I think he's watching when he sees the Mando take the armor. Um, and that's how he knows to fly off and, and find him. Um, do you do you think we're going to see Mando in this series at all? Not as a major, not not as like a not as a major part of it. I don't think. No. No, because that would take away then from Boba Fett's story. This is Boba Fett's story, not Din Djarin's. Definitely. No, no, I agree with you. I just, because I know a lot of people have said, oh, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be an appearance. Um, and I do think we're going to get a big payoff of some sort of character that everyone's looking forward to seeing. And that's why uh, I just, I really, my my hopes are pinned on Kira because they seem to be doing so much with her at the moment. And it just fits perfectly. Yeah, I think... It would also make sense, though, to feature Cobb Vanth because there's got to be a reason that Boba Fett didn't just take his armour back from Cobb. So we need to sort of learn that. I think it's because he's he's obviously settled in with the Tuscans, so he kind of just go, oh, I've got my armour now, so screw you and your... Like, the stuff you've given me, screw you, I'm putting my armour on now. Do you know what I mean? I think you have to be very sort of diplomatic with how you do that. Do, do you know what I mean? I also think that he probably seeing Cobb Vanth using the armor for good to protect, you know, the people as he was, I think maybe that would mean that Boba Fett would be like, right, my armor's got a purpose. But then obviously when he sees Jin take back the or take the Mando armor, it's going to be, okay, now I've got to find out why this guy's taking my armor from Cobb Vanth. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, Boba Fett would want to see it used in a good way, purposefully. Yeah, and I think it wasn't a case of I just don't need the armor right now, essentially. And Cobb Vance using it for good, so I'll leave it there where I know where it is. Um, yeah, I'm doing this thing, but when the time comes and I want to be the head honcho crime syndicate dude, I'm going to need to get me armor back. Um, and obviously, before he could do that, it gets taken off world. Um, and sort of that, 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 that's where we sort of see happen. I sort of, I, if Boba Fett puts a call out for help, you know, if he's if he's against all odds in the season finale, maybe I can see Mando turn up to be like by his side as an extra gunman. But that's probably, yeah. the, you know, that's probably the only major thing I can see him doing if he does do anything. Yeah, the beauty obviously with Mando is that they don't even have to get Pedro Pascal, they can get one of his stunt doubles to appear. No I think same with anybody who's in a mask. I think I think character wise, I mean, he would probably do it if he's available. But I think like you know, if the if the call goes out, you know, I think the Mando would answer to help him out um, because they've worked together in the past. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's all from me. Um, Jason, where can the people find you on social media? It's at Hondoling on Twitter, and that's probably the best place to touch base with me. Cat yourself. I'm at Cat Kylo, both of K's on Twitter. Always happy to talk Star Wars, anything Kylo Ren. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jordi Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on Instagram 
Facebook and TikTok at Star Bores Podcast. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at Bores Star. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me to talk Book Above Our Fett and deep dive and getting sweaty with us. Our pleasure. It's been great to talk about everything Book of Boba Fett. I just can't wait for the next episode so we can sort of deep dive on that now because I just, just I think what we're going to get is going to be unexpected but exciting. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and listeners, thank you very much for listening. Um, remember to check us out on social media. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Hello, Star Wars listeners. This is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of the Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Dart, which is a Star Wars-inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Zolandart today. Shout! We've got your pigs. Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now? I didn't do anything. I just freaked out for no reason. It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less... Temperamental. <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun. Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs? Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big. Dynamic class. My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. Uh, any chance you have a hover cart we can use to load up? I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector. My name is Sereth Khan. I am the chief here on Kamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages as of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone. I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with. Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Paktu to expect you in the next cycle or so. You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, perhaps, though once I received confirmation that you were interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope. Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can. That's not good. Is that blaster fire I hear? Ah, so you're the one. Captain, it sounds like they want to do this the hard way. <laughs> I love when they got some fight in them. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company. I'll see you soon. <laughs>